0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I call your attention to the words taken from our text, Ruth 1, verses 15 and 16. And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. This is our text. The story of Ruth is often thought of as a romance. But the memorable words of love are spoken not to Ruth's husband, but to her mother-in-law. This is really a story of God's word in the lives of the poor. So let's meditate on that central idea that the story of Ruth is the story of God's word in the lives of the poor. And I hope you will recall your experiences either with being poor or with poor people that you have known. Ruth's family lived on the edge of poverty. You know, poor people have to follow jobs. They're vulnerable to famine or unemployment. Now we hear the word famine when we read these Bible stories and we think, oh, there's a scarcity of food. But what we don't realize is that that scarcity is not distributed equally because the wealthy just pay the higher price and eat as much as they ever did. But the poor, who cannot afford the higher price, these are the ones who go without. And when things get really bad, you know, the farmer will sell you some of his crop if you can offer him some service in return. But if the farmer himself is not enough food to feed his family in the course of the year, he's not going to sell you anything. There's nothing you can give him in return. And so the poor are very dependent on the seasons, on the economy. And so in the story of Ruth, Elimelech and his family had to go where there was food available. They had to cross the river out of Israel into the land of Moab, where apparently the farms were doing a little better, and people would trade their skills, their labor, for enough food to get by. And you know, that should ring a bell for many of us because in the 16 years I've served here in Taylor, Taylor has experienced unemployment. Many of our families have had to leave and go to where the jobs were. I've seen more than a 100 families with children over these 15 years go to Florida, Georgia, Ohio, Nebraska, Texas, places where there were jobs. Now, Elimelech and his family noticed that they obtained wives. But since they were a poor family, we can surmise that when his sons got wives from among the Moabites, they obtained wives from families willing to give them to strangers for a low bride price. You know, instead of an elaborate, expensive party in those days, it was more straightforward. A marriage was an alliance between families, And to make that alliance, you paid the bride's family a bride price. And since the Lemelech's family didn't have much money, we can infer that they got brides from families that were in similarly poor economic straits. Secondly, the poor cannot afford to do what is right. Think about that carefully. They can't afford to do what is right. You know, it was unpatriotic for Israelites to leave the land and go over to the enemy territory of Moab. At the very least, it was unpatriotic. But then after Elimelech died, Malon and Kilian married foreign wives and this was expressly forbidden by Moses. In fact, Moses decrees in the book of Deuteronomy that their children could not offer sacrifice until the third generation. But where else could they find wives? Many of the poor participate in the underground economy, the unregulated economy, the economy that pays no attention to what rules there are, and so many evade taxes. Some poor live together without marriage because they can't afford it. They imagine they have to have an expensive party before they get the marriage license. And so many people live together for that reason. Some of the poor drive without insurance, again, because they can't afford it. This doesn't make it right, but I hope I've made it a little more understandable for you why some of the poor make choices that you and I in our present circumstance perhaps would not. And the poor are vulnerable to family breakup. As illustrated here in the book of Ruth, the loss of menfolk plunges Naomi into destitution. I said they were on the edge if they were poor when they moved to Moab. When they lost their breadwinners, they became utterly destitute, as is still the case today, where widowhood or divorce leads to poverty for women and children. A major reason why so many of Americans' children grow up in poverty is because half of our marriages end in divorce, leaving the women and the children in poverty. Now, out of love for her daughters, Naomi, urges them to return to their mothers. For she had reached the point where she had to sell the house and move. We've known people who have been in that position, members of this congregation. And sure, they may have made some poor decisions, but let's face it, it often happens to the poor whether they make good decisions or not. For who can anticipate a death or the expense of a health crisis. So Naomi has to leave and out of love for her daughters-in-law she urges them to return to their mother's families. She does not expect them to share the sacrifice of being a stranger in a strange land, a Moabitess among the Israelites to deal with their prejudice and live off their charity. The presence of God's word among the poor humbled them by revealing sin and its consequence for they know when they do things that are wrong they may not know everything but they realize living on the edge how vulnerable they are to the sins of others and to the consequences of their own sin. This is unlike the rich who are insulated from these effects and imagine that they are right with God because they are respectable in society. And yet, amid the weakness of the poor, the gospel's power is manifest. The gospel, the good news of God's love which was to be manifest in the Messiah, the Christ, it was present, however weakly, in a family. For they seemed to have preferred the disability of being Israelites in a Moabite society than coming on over to the Moabites, adopting their ways, losing their accent, just blending in. They had that much faith to maintain the identity of Israelites, though it was a disability in the Moabite society. And there are those who retain some kind of loyalty to God, despite their sin and their circumstance. I've known many poor who are caught up in in webs of, of corruption and drug use and criminality, who nevertheless had some kind of faith. They knew enough to call on the name of Jesus in their troubles just like the sinners who came to Jesus admitting their sin, looking for forgiveness, and the power to lead a better life. The power of the gospel was present, however weakly, in Naomi herself, for she shared her faith with Ruth and Oprah, her daughters-in-law. If she hadn't, she wouldn't have told them to return to their old gods, it was a weak faith in that she urged them to return to their homes, their families, their religion. But you know, the gospel power is like a candlelight. A candle may have a weak flame, but it may light a stronger flame in another taper. And so the gospel power was manifest in Ruth's love for Naomi and for the God she had come to know through Naomi. The greatest strength of the gospel in Ruth shows that the gospel itself, not the messenger, is what creates faith. Our faith may be passed on by those who may themselves falter. Many of us were taught the faith by our parents and then we grew up and saw their flaws. We saw their weaknesses. We saw that they sometimes faltered in their faith and if our faith is dependent upon our parents or our teachers or our pastors or our leaders, then we are in deep trouble. But our faith is dependent upon the gospel. What St. Paul called the power for salvation to those who believe and this power was manifest in Ruth's life and her pledge of love to her mother-in-law and the God she had come to know through her and God chose Ruth to be an instrument of his gospel she became the great grandmother of David the king and more than this, she became the ancestress of Jesus the Christ. This poor woman who lived on the edge of destitution, who left her home, who was a, originally a pagan and a member of a, in the book of Moses, a cursed people, becomes the ancestress of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed to number a poor foreigner among His ancestors. Jesus said in Luke 6, Blessed are the poor. The kingdom of God belongs to them. The poor are blessed insofar as life isn't working for them and they, like Abraham, are ready to leave this home for better prospects. The promised land God offers through Jesus Christ. This is why it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They are so in love with this life that they find it difficult to surrender it in the kingdom of God. This is why the poor who recognize their sin receive the gospel with joy while the rich who enjoy this world look at the prospect of heaven with cold or reluctant hearts. For a bird in the hand, they reason, is worth more than heaven promised by and by. May God give us that poverty of spirit that we may receive the kingdom of God with joy and not be ashamed to acknowledge our fellowship with the poor and the destitute who share that hope of the gospel. For they are God's children, as sure as we are, and deserving of our care, our support, our help, and our love. Amen. 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 May that peace of God that surpasses understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.